Are you ready? Starting now? (laughs) (laughs) Now you just messed it up, you knob. It sounds like to me that our conversation is almost right on right on spot right now. So Yeah, it does. I'll use some of this. <laughs> Just to get used to it. A. Yeah, fucking A back at you. Yeah, right. totally. This is this is fucking explicit now. <laughs> ah, the explicit button. Let me use my finger. It is time for another episode of Sober, Not Mature. And that episode starts now. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sober, Not Mature. Uh, This is Bill, and I've actually got the other member of our cast uh, with me today. So welcome and introduce yourself, young man. (laughs) haven't been called that in a while hi my name is mike and i am definitely an alcoholic and a junkie and a meth head and a pothead and anything else you got (laughs) and you know what we're going to hear all about that in a minute and uh (laughs) yeah that's uh that's one of the things i i obviously know mike's story but you guys are going to get a chance to hear it here in a minute but before we start, and this is uh, Mike and I had talked for a few minutes beforehand here, and uh, I got a, actually a couple of, I don't know, do you want to call them housekeeping items? Uh, just call them announcements. I don't care what I call them, but call them we something. now <laughs> call them something. Yeah. Housekeeping items. How's that? And that then, works. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I don't know, a couple of days ago, I, I had sent you a message that we had, you know, over 100 people uh, following us on Instagram. We now have 119. Uh, so that's kind of cool. And if any one of those, you know, two people are listening now, you know, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for following. Hi us. there. Yeah, exactly. Hi there. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> that. And um, I was thinking about it, too. So we already got our one critical message on the podcast so far. We also got <laughs> we also, we also got a good one, but uh, I wanted to actually tell both stories. It'll probably piss her off if we tell the tell the story about the critical one, but I think it's funny. So hopefully she has a sense of humor about it. So I will um, hope so. <laughs> so I'll, I'll set it up real quick. Um, yeah. So obviously Mike and I started this last week was the first one when both of us were on there. I've obviously I was trying to do the behind the scenes thing. And um, we sent a message, right? I sent a text message, a group text to, to Mike, um, our sister and our mom just saying, Hey, look at what we're doing. You know, check this out. You know, we're on Instagram, we're on this, we're doing this podcast. And I don't even think, I don't think it was a minute. It might've been 30 seconds <laughs> later. This, about that. this text <laughs> this text comes back that's dislike and it's from our mom and you know she's got she's got an iphone so she just literally disliked the entire text mm-hmm. so i text back and i'm just like dislike with a question mark and a little laughing emoji and then probably within a couple of seconds after that mike your comment was uh our first critique <laughs> from our mom and i thought uh-huh. about that you know a podcast uh so bad even our mom doesn't like it so i thought exactly that, maybe we can start using that in the promo <laughs> <laughs> i believe we shall i i think we should i'll work that in now mm-hmm. we also got we also got a positive one so short story here when i first got on instagram and you know mike i i had set it up under uh you know just kind of a different name and then started obviously this page um but this uh when i first got on there i was just like i need to try to connect i was trying to connect to sober profiles you know anything with sober in it just anyone i could trying to follow these people going to follow back you know build more of an audience but also just you know connect with people so i ran across this profile um and first of all she might be listening to this so be nice i'm just telling you mike be nice yeah. um because she's cause she's cool 
Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. She's cool though. She's really cool. <laughs> All right. But, so, so she's got like over 5,000 followers. And first I'm like, how the hell do you manage that? But then I was reading some of her posts. And so I just messaged her. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I want to do. Here's what we want to do. Um, I don't know how to do it. So she gave me a ton of suggestions. And then we first started doing the promos um, in the first couple of episodes and all that stuff. She, you know, was kind of critiquing everything and given me um, just advice on how to do all this stuff, which has Mm -hmm. been insanely helpful. You know, so I told her too, and honestly, she's got, uh, she's got like 11 years sober, great stories. I've been telling her, I'm like, we're going to get you on there. And she's like, I don't know. So I said, I'm going to keep gently nudging her. So if you're listening, this is another one of your gently, gently nudging things. Nudge, um, nudge. Exactly. So she had posted about something and I responded to it. And she's like, oh, by the way, I got it. Finally got a chance to, you know, listen to the podcast this morning. And she's like, here was her comment. She's like, you guys sound really cute together. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was my response i laughed i mean literally out loud and i i, I messaged her back and i'm like good that's exactly what we we're hoping for the sound cute <laughs> together so mm-hmm. so there we go there's maybe that's a t-shirt hey listen to us we sound cute <laughs> together <laughs> but i just thought you know what a what a great what a great thing to start out with you know two you know kind of funny things but uh yeah you know somebody's listening i don't know who but um yeah i just i kind of got a i kind of got a kick out of that so um all right obviously you know i a couple of weeks ago i had a chance to you know kind of go through my story um mike and i have followed you know obviously the same path pretty much since we got sober, but prior mm-hmm. to that, um, completely different paths. And we both agree that there's no way in the world we ever would have met had it not been for this and had it not been for the Keating center. So, um, right. that's where we met, but, uh, obviously Mike, you know, take the time, tell your story, whatever you want to talk about. I'm just going to mute and take a quick nap here. Hey, do you have a, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> yeah. I've heard this story before. So, I mean, yeah, I just, well, yeah. It's like a rerun for me, but um, yeah. so do you have like a horn in your room there that you can like blow when you're done or what's, what's going to be the, I'm going to know you're done. <laughs> I'll scream, wake up. Okay. That's, that's perfect. And then uh, oh, only one request. I'll say one word and you'll know what I mean. Pants. Mm-hmm. That's my only request. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> all right. All, all right. Mike, it's, all you. it's all me. I'm being selfish and self-centered. How could I wake it any other way? Um, all right. My name is, uh, J. Michael Harris. I have no problem saying that. Um, uh, like my leads, I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to talk about here. Um, just going to tell my story. Uh, I was born in Detroit, Michigan in, uh, 1967. I just turned 55 years old. Um, I was raised by a single mother. Um, she, I can say this, she was an alcoholic, um, but she never did the work. She admitted it to herself and to me, um, and I certainly saw evidence of it, Uh, And uh, but she never did any of the work. She was aware of the program, but uh, she didn't do anything, and she uh, died fairly young as a direct result of this disease. Anyway, enough about her. I was raised, uh, my dad, my biological father really wasn't in the picture. He took off when I was about two years old. Um, I was, uh, I was pretty much raised by women and, uh, didn't mind it. Didn't mind it. Um, usual story, right? You know, um, I'm a liar. I am a cheat. 
and I'm a thief. And I was those things long before I picked up a drink or a drug. Um, I also always wanted to drink. I also always wanted to do drugs ever since I can remember. Um, my family, uh, partied, they, uh, you know, holidays and stuff. The majority of them, uh, got up for work the next day and did what they were supposed to do. Um, but I would see these people having a really good time, um, holidays, summer barbecues, all that good stuff. And I could not wait to join. Um, many of the houses that I spent my early childhood in had bars in them. And I remember being very young and um, playing behind the bar, pretending that I was drinking. Um, another, I'll tell you a quick story. This is one that I use in my lead. Um, give you an idea of who I am. So I'm sitting at a bar, middle of the day, middle of the week. And um, I uh, slid off the bar stool and went over to the jukebox, threw a few coins in, punched a few buttons, and got some tunes going. I climbed back up onto the bar stool, grabbed a couple swizzle sticks, and started working the beat out on the bar. And the old barfly sitting next to me, who was probably younger than I am now, leaned over to me. And he said, so kid, you going to be a drummer when you grow up? And I looked at him square in the eye and I said, no, I'm going to be a rock star. I was four years old. <sighs> Again, always wanted to drink. I also always wanted to be a musician. Music was a huge part of my life. Um, I absolutely loved it. I remember laying in bed at three and four years old and making up songs in my head. Um, and I followed that path. Um, I, you know, when I was a kid, this was uh, the early 70s, and it didn't seem out of the ordinary to be in the band, right? You know, the Monkees were on TV, the Partridge family was on TV, Fat Albert, the Cosby kids had a junkyard band. I mean, uh, Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp had a band. Everything had a band. That was what you were supposed to do. And that's exactly what I did. I followed that path. Um, I grew up, I moved around a lot. Um, again, mom was uh, one of us. And so she did a lot of geographics. Um, I went to like three different schools in second grade. Um, I moved around a lot. I'm also lighting a cigarette right now because I haven't given up everything. Okay, uh, <laughs> so we moved around. Um, I went to school. I did normal things, you know, but I never fit in. I was never comfortable. Um, I was very often the new kid, and I would have to pretend and uh, lie and to, in my mind, to make you like me. Because if you knew who I really was, that liar and that cheat and that thief, you wouldn't like me. And like everybody else, I wanted to be liked. Um, I don't remember my first drink. Like I said, uh, alcohol was uh, pretty much always around. 
And, um, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> very common to, uh, rub whiskey on a teething baby's gums. So I'm sure that was probably my first drink. Um, but I do remember my first drunk. Um, my mom got remarried when I was about nine years old and, uh, the, <laughs> I'm using air quotes here. The reception was, uh, a house party in Detroit. And, uh, all that came with that in the mid seventies. And, uh, there were a lot of half empty glasses around and I proceeded to empty those half empty glasses, walked around sucking the dregs. It was a portent of what was to come in my life. Um, I remember the next day, my first hangover. I remember that really well. And I remember I couldn't wait to do it again. Um, like I said, I was about nine, uh, fast forward a little bit, you know, um, sneaking cigarettes and having drinks here and there when I could, but I was also a pretty good kid. I was rotten in school cause I was bored. Um, and I didn't like the structure and I didn't like them having me do mindless tasks. Um, you told me something, I learned it. I had it in my head. I didn't need to prove it to you. And uh, so my grades weren't great. Um, but I got through, you know, and I stayed out of trouble. And, um, you know, I, I was in choirs. I was in guitar classes. I was in music. I was learning to play. I was following that. I was playing drums, um, moving along. Um, when I was 13 years old, we moved to California. My mom had remarried once again. And we moved to Sacramento, California. I hated it. Um, I was not happy. You would think I uh, moving around all I did, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but it kind of was. Um, once again, I, I, I found people that were like me and, and fit in. Um, and weekend warrior, you know, um, also started playing in bands um, and, uh, moving right along. I, uh, I did not graduate high school. I dropped out about a month before graduation because I had a couple of, uh, bucks in my pocket. Um, my biological father had been in a car accident and I had an insurance settlement and I didn't need that anymore. At that point I was getting into a fairly popular band, uh, and I was ready to move on. And I did. Um, we put out a record, we did the rock and roll thing. It was all good. Um, but as with all of us, this is a progressive disease and I, uh, was progressing, you know, um, a little bit was, uh, not enough. And I started needing more and my dream my core, my essence of the music wasn't quite as important as feeling good. And that's really our problem. You know, um, we want to feel good all the time. You know, the big book talks about alcohol is just a symptom and it is. And heroin is just a symptom and crack is just a symptom. The big book says that um, the root of our troubles is selfishness and self-centeredness. And that's absolutely the truth. Um, 
you know, there's a, I know I'm bouncing back and forth here a little bit, but um, my qualifications, you know, um, I don't like to go into a big drunk log. I'm going to jump around here a little bit. Um, anybody that's listening to this that is sober or is thinking about sobriety or is just interested in how this thing works from both sides, um, I will tell you a couple of truths about this disease and about the way, the way it affected me. Um, there are two things that are 100% true every time I pick up. And it doesn't matter if I'm drinking 16-year-old scotch in the penthouse offices of a modeling agency in Osaka, Japan, or I'm sitting down on the banks of a river drinking cheap malt out of a paper bag. It doesn't matter if I'm blowing pharmaceutical coke up in the VIP room of the Rainbow Bar and Grill in Hollywood, California, or I'm sitting on a piece of cardboard geezing in an alley, geezing black tar heroin with a pile of human excrement 10 feet away from me. All of those things have happened to me. The two things that are 100% true, the first one is, it's all about me. You know, I'll lie to myself and I'll lie to you and I'm saying I'm trying to fit in and I'm trying to make myself comfortable enough to be a part of this society. Now, I want to feel good. I want to feel better that I've earned the right to feel. The second thing is, every time I pick up a drink or a drug, every time I put something in me that shouldn't be in me, I'm hurting other people every time. You know, I can be 100 miles away from anybody I know, locked in some motel room somewhere, and I'm hurting other people. You know, I'm, make, I'm spending money I shouldn't be spending. I'm, I'm making people wonder if I'm dead or alive. Every time I pick up a substance, I'm negatively impacting the universe. And I don't want to do that anymore. So, um, back to my little story. I, uh, like I said, I moved to Hollywood. I did the music thing. Um, but this disease progressed in me and little by little, the music wasn't so important. I was becoming more important. My well-being in my head was becoming more important. Um, the bands broke up. Um, I met a woman from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, ah, let me back up a little bit. Um, I have a daughter. Uh, she was, uh, her mother and I went to high school together. Um, we had, this was the rock and roll days and, uh, we had a, uh, an interesting relationship. I'll leave it at that. Um, it's not her story, but, we had a child together uh, when we were both 19 years old. We're like literally four weeks apart to the day um, in age. She's older than I am. <laughs> anyway, um, but we had this we had this daughter, and uh, but that wasn't enough to keep us together, and that wasn't enough for me to not do what I needed to do or what I thought I needed to do. Um, my daughter is now. 
35 years old, almost 36. Uh, she will come into the story later. Um, needless to say, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't Ward Cleaver. I was not the picture perfect father by any stretch of the imagination, but despite myself, I was around mostly and, um, I did what I could, what little I could, I did do. Um, anyway, so I'm, uh, down in Hollywood and, um, my daughter's mother and I were sort of together, but I met this other woman. Uh, she was from Cleveland, Ohio. She's a fashion model. Uh, she sort of had her career going. Um, my rock and roll days were um, starting to not be quite as important. And, uh, you know, there's a, <laughs> if anybody out there knows the movie Spinal Tap, um, one of my absolute favorites. There's a scene at the end credits where the drummer's laying in the bathroom and uh, they ask him, you know, what would he do if he wasn't in a band? And he says, well, you know, if as long as I have the sex and the drugs, the rock and roll I could do without. And that was becoming my attitude, my dream, my core, my essence was fading. Um, it was about having a good time. And the music, quite frankly, was starting to get in the way of that. So I met this woman and uh, I took her hostage and uh, we proceeded to travel the world with her, uh, with her career. I spent a couple of summers in Japan. I uh, spent some time in Europe. We ended up moving to Manhattan. Um, lived there for about a year. Um, and I didn't care about rock and roll all that much. You know, she was making a lot of money and I was spending it. Um, at this point, though, you know, it was still pretty much beer with uh maybe a half pint of whiskey and always had pot you know um i had gone through hard drug phases um i started that in high school uh sacramento county at the time was the methamphetamine capital of the world we called it crank there were more meth labs in sacramento county per capita than any other place in the world so we had really good really cheap speed and I took advantage of that. Um, but, you know, I moved out of there and uh, I didn't need to do that. As long as I had my booze and my pot, I was fine. Um, we, my ex-wife and I, we spent um, about three and a half, four years together. She got tired of my games and uh, she moved on. I ended up moving back to, we had moved to Cleveland at that point. Um, I moved back to California and uh, proceeded to waste a lot of time. You know, I got some Joe jobs um, and I drank. That's what I did. Um, and then I couldn't really handle that anymore. You know, it was, uh, it was drinking. It was drinking. That was my full-time job. Um, I ended up uh, basically being homeless. 
a lot of time on people's couches, you know, and at 30 years old, it really wasn't all that cute anymore. You know, um, the people, my, my peers were getting their acts together and growing up and moving on and getting houses and families and careers. And, um, I was still good time, Charlie, and nobody, uh, nobody wanted me around anymore. So I, uh, I decided I had a problem and, um, I thought that problem was drinking. And if I could just stop or better yet control my drinking, um, maybe I could have some kind of life. So I went into rehab for the first time at about 30 years old. And, um, it was, uh, it was in California. It was, uh, psychologically based, uh, you know, they did encourage us to go to 12 step meetings. Um, but the main part of their program was things were things like getting in touch with your feelings, uh, finding your inner child. Well, uh, I was ruled by my feelings. Uh, I was angry. I got loaded. I was sad. I got loaded. I was happy. I got loaded. I was lonely. I got loaded. Me, 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 me. Uh, as far as my inner child goes, I had never grown up. So I was very in touch with my inner child, my inner child that wants to be taken care of my inner child that demands to be taken care of my inner child that wants to feel good all the time. Needless to say, that approach didn't work very well. Uh, I ended up getting kicked out because I got drunk. Um, because I don't have a choice. I drink. I have to drink. Um, around that time, I was in and out. I put together 30, 60, 90 days. I was around the program. I moved in with a guy who uh, was in the program, uh, got an apartment, got a job at Tower Records, um, and things were going okay. I was doing the marijuana maintenance program. I would smoke a bowl in the morning, go to work, smoke a bowl on the way home from work, and that worked out for about six months. I didn't drink. I didn't use anything harder, um, and it was okay, but I had no defense, um, and then I met a girl. Uh, like I said, I was about 31 at the time. She was 21. She, I was uh, the greeter at my Alcoholics Anonymous home group. And she came floating in, uh, and she was beautiful, and I was in love. Now, she was at a meeting, uh, and so she was attempting sobriety, sort of, like I was. And, uh, but she was a heroin addict. Now, I had dabbled in heroin before. Um, I had never shot it. My um, line, I had been around intravenous drug users for a decade or longer. But my line was always when the drugs came out and their needles came out, my line was always, God gave me enough holes to put drugs into my body. I don't need to make more. <sighs> so I never used a needle. Uh, anyway, I fell very, very, very in love with this girl. And, uh, she was going back out. 
she was done with this recovery stuff and she was going and I was going to go with her and protect her. Um, and I let her shoot me up for the first time and it was wonderful. Uh, we, uh, very quickly ended up on the streets in San Francisco. She was selling her body to pay for our habits. And, uh, I was seriously thinking about getting a gun and knocking over some liquor stores. I thought that would be a very good idea. Uh, and somehow came to my senses and said, you know, that's probably not the best course of action at this time. Um, I should probably get my ass back to Sacramento, get into a detox. And uh, that's what I did. Um, I went to a detox. I went back into a program and proceeded to drink as soon as I could. Um And I pretty much spent the next 10 years inside of a bottle. Um, nothing, <laughs> nothing very memorable. I certainly can't remember much of it uh, happened to that. I ended up uh, getting into a program. Uh, I went, I became homeless again. Uh, I went to the Salvation Army shelter. Uh, because I had nowhere else to go. And they said, well, we have this program and, uh, we'll try to get you into it. I spent, uh, about 11 months there and I stayed dry. Um, I didn't work any sort of program. It was very structured and and it was literally if you walked out the door to have a cigarette you had to blow into a breathalyzer to walk back in the door so strictly from fear of not having anywhere else to go I uh, I stayed dry uh, I transitioned out of that into a uh, Volunteers of America program um, where we got our own little studio apartment and uh, we had to go to a few meetings a week, but basically we were on our own. And within the first week of me being in that situation, I drank. Um, and I proceeded to drink until I left there. Um, I didn't get kicked out, but I left. In the meantime, because of this program, I went to uh, truck driving school and I got my CDL and... Uh, got a got a job and went on the road so i left that program and pretty much lived in my truck for a year um drinking um there was always a 12 pack of budweiser in the back and there was always a fifth of wild turkey in the back always um i didn't i didn't drink when i was driving um i'm not a maintenance drinker I never was. Um, if I crack that beer and I pop that cork out of that bottle, um, I drink until I pass out. That's the kind of drinker I am. So um, I would get up in the morning and I would drive the truck. And then when I parked for the night, I opened up the booze and drank till I passed out every night. 
Um, I did that for a little while, uh, about a year and a half or so. Uh, got into an accident in a truck in a truck stop parking lot. I injured a man. Um, I didn't know I did that. I was pulling out, and he was standing next to his truck, and my trailer pinned him between his truck and my trailer. And I uh, guess I hurt him pretty bad, and I didn't know. Off I drove. I ended up going to jail for about four months um, in Virginia. Um, I got off with a misdemeanor reckless driving and uh, came back to Cleveland. And because my daughter was here and her mom was here and uh, I didn't have anywhere else to go. So I came back to Cleveland um, and continued to drink because I have no choice. It's what I do. Uh, we'll fast forward a few years. My daughter got pregnant. Um, at this point, I had gotten a fairly decent job again. And um, she needed some help. So we moved in together. We got a little house. And um, I helped her out a little bit. But I go, so I continued to drink. Um, I lost that job. Um, and my granddaughter was born. My granddaughter was born, and then I lost the job. Um, at this point, uh, I'm doing day labor. I'm going down and working um, three, maybe four days a week, getting that $50 check, cashing it at the liquor store, getting a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of vodka, and taking care of myself because I'm selfish and I'm self-centered and I don't care about anybody else. Mean In the meantime, my daughter is trying to take care of this baby. I am very, very, very little help. Uh, and I'm locked in my bedroom, pissing in jugs because I don't want to face her. Um, the end, my last drink, it was, uh, it was a day that was no different than any other day. You know, I had gone down, I had done the day labor thing, went to the liquor store. They had my bottle sitting there for me. Uh, cashed my check, paid for my booze, got my pack of cigarettes, got on the bus, because, of course, I lost the car. Um, got on the bus with my quart of grapefruit juice that I poured half of it out and poured a pint of vodka into it to get me home. Um, I got home that day, stopped at the, the beer store on the way home, grabbed three or four or five tall boys of malt liquor, steel reserve, uh, and uh, proceeded to go home. Now, usually, that would be enough. Usually. You know, this day, it wasn't. I apparently got it in my head that I needed some more vodka. So I proceeded to head to the liquor store. Now, we had a very long, sloping, downward sloping driveway. Now, as I'm heading out to the liquor store, here's the pants. The pants apparently weren't all that important for me to pull all the way up. My pants were around my ankles. I didn't have underwear on. Now, I don't remember any of this. This was told to me later. 
I proceeded to try to make my way down the driveway with my pants around my ankles. And I would take a step and I would face plant into the concrete. And then I would get up and I would take another step or two and face plant into the concrete. But I needed another drink and I'm keeping it up going because that's what we do. In the meantime, my daughter's standing on the porch holding my granddaughter watching me do this to myself. She called an ambulance. Um, they took me to the hospital. And they stitched me up. And they, uh, they did a blood alcohol test on me. And apparently I was about 0.42 at that point. Uh, and I hadn't had a drink in an hour or so. Um, and I'm talking and I'm answering questions and moving around and yeah. Um, and they asked me if I had a problem, if I needed any help. My answer to both of those questions was no, I don't have a problem. I don't need any help. I've got this. Um, the next day, I'm getting ready to uh, check out of the hospital because I don't need any help. I don't have any problem. And there's nothing else they can do for me. So they're sending me home. And uh, the phone on the nightstand rings. And it's my daughter. And she says, Dad, I love you. But I cannot watch you do this to yourself anymore. We've changed the locks on the door. You can't come home. Now, normally, my first thought would be, I'll talk my way back in. And I probably could have in retrospect. Um, you know, I was getting ready to go get a drink. I never made it to the liquor store that night. I still had a few bucks in my pocket. I was going to go get a drink. And then I would head back to the house somehow, and I would talk my way back in. That's my, that's what I do. <sighs> For some reason, it was my moment of clarity. I realized just how badly I was hurting her, and I didn't want to do it anymore, and I didn't know how to stop. So I called the nurse in, and I said, you know what? I do have a problem. I do need some help. They said, okay, hang on. They made a few calls. They got me into a detox. I went and spent a week there um, rattling apart despite the drugs they were giving me, um, shaking like a leaf the entire time. Um, at the end of that week, they said, we have found you a bed at a place called the Ed Keating Center. Never heard of it before. So we're on the west side. Okay. Whatever. At this point, I'm completely broken. The only thing I know is I don't want to. It's not even that I didn't want to drink. It's just I didn't want to hurt my kid anymore. And I knew that um, I had to do something different. So I was willing. Like I said, I'd, I'd been around the 12 steps before. I'd been around the program before, but I never did any of the work. And so I never got any of the results. Um, the wonderful thing about the Ed Keating Center was it wasn't a rehab. It's not a rehab. 
It's a sober living facility. It's a place for you to be safe, to get involved in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's all it is. You know, there's groups there and they nudge you in directions and, and it's structured. You have to get up at a certain time. You have to do certain chores. But basically, it's a safe place to be to go out there, get a sponsor, start working the program. And um, that's what I did. You know, I didn't want to, um, but I didn't want to keep hurting the people that I told myself that I cared about. So I did. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't try to run things my way. Like I always did. Um, I tried something different, you know, uh, the 12 and 12, says that the first step is the only one we have to do perfectly. And I'm very grateful for that because I fall short on the rest of the steps, you know. Um, but the first step we have to do perfectly. And the powerless part, I'm powerless over the substance. Yeah, I got to remind myself of that every day, but I am powerless. I have no control. Once I put that first one in me, I can't stop. And the second part of that first step is my life is unmanageable. About a month shy of being 12 years sober, my life is unmanageable. I do not manage my own life. What manages my life is this program. The steps, the traditions, the absolutes. For you people who are outside of the Cleveland area, the absolutes are honesty, unselfishness, unselfishness, purity, and love. Um, these are the things that guide my life. These are the things that manage my life. As long as I allow them to do that, I'm okay. If I stop, if I stop letting that happen, I'm going to take back over and I'm going to try to run my life the way that I always did and I will fail. I will pick up a drink, I will pick up a drug, and I will start causing chaos in the lives of everyone around me. And I don't want to do that today. So um, I work this program, not all day, but every day. You know, I work those first three steps before I get up in the morning, before I get out of bed. You know, um, the way I was taught was, I do four, five, and eight to the best of my ability, and I don't ever have to do them again. That's what the 10 steps for. But the rest of those steps, I have to work to some degree every day. And I do, you know, not perfectly, um, but to some degree, I work every one of those steps every day. And so far, it's working, you know. Um, I haven't been unemployed since about six months, well, three and a half months after I got to the Keating Center, got my first job, and I've worked pretty much every day. I have a car. Uh, I bought a house, my first house, at uh, 52 years old. Uh, it's an adventure. Um but you know what? It's pretty amazing. That daughter, um, 
<sighs> you know, I don't always agree with some of her lifestyle choices, but that's okay. She knows I'm here. She knows where I'm at every day. She knows she can pick up the phone and I'm going to answer it. And I'm going to be sober and I'm going to do whatever I can to help her. She knows that. She didn't know that the majority of her life. That means something to me. You know, yeah, the house is nice. Yeah, the car is nice. Yeah, the couple of bucks in the bank. It's all wonderful. But the promise that I got from working this program, the peace and the serenity, that's, that's it. That's it. The rest of the stuff could go away tomorrow. That peace and that serenity is going to stay there as long as I continue to work this program. And I'm going to continue to work this program because I'm still selfish and self-centered. And I want that peace and that serenity because, quite frankly, it's better than any drink and any drug I've ever done. I'm comfortable in my own skin today, finally. I don't need the substances anymore. Do I think about them? Bet your ass I do. Do I have the dreams? Mm-hmm. Had one about a week and a half ago. It was a doozy. And I woke up and I looked around and I went, eh, I'm still sober. It's all right. And I got up and grabbed my meditation books and did what I had to do to stay sober that day. So um, that's my story. I live here in Cleveland, Ohio now. Um, like I said, I bought this house. I'm never moving again. I'm dying in this house because moving sucks. Um, you know, if you continue to listen to this podcast, and I hope you do, um, you'll hear more little details here and there. That's basically it, man. I'm a drunk. I'm a junkie. I'm a garden variety drunk. That's all I am. I'm not special. I'm not unique. And this program works because I work it. And I'm going to continue to work it. And now I'm starting to ramble. So, hey, Bill, wake up. <laughs> you know, what's <laughs> funny is uh, I, I actually, uh, it, and I was trying to think about it. It's probably been, I, it's, it might be five years, maybe even six years since I've heard you actually mm -hmm. lean before. So uh -huh. um, some of the stories that you told about, you know, back in California days, I don't, I don't know that I've heard all of them. And for, for anyone that knows the two of us, I mean, usually the, the two of us are one's telling a story, the other one's walking away because we've heard it you know, <laughs> 17 times. So, um, right. Yeah, but I mean, the, the bits and pieces, and just so everyone knows, I, I mean, the reason I, I brought up the whole pants thing to begin with, it, it's mm. the first time I heard him tell that story. Uh, I mean, we, we laugh about it because. Because it's fucking funny. <laughs> and, and, and now we can laugh about it because, you know, you're you're not literally falling on your face anymore. But no, the I'm reason not. I like it so much is because. Um, you know, what, what happened that day and what it led you to, and that the story and the phone call from, from your daughter, um, that I know that that story is leading into that. And it, it just, to me, it's power powerful because I know where that led, you know? So mm -hmm. it, it's cool, you know, and that, that's the reason I joke with people. And I, I, we've, <laughs> there's a lot of friends we have over the years mm -hmm. that they're like, why would you want him to tell that story? That's terrible. I'm like, no, it's not. It's beautiful. It's freaking yeah. beautiful. And I said, oh. if you can see, if you can see that, then you get the point, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and that's a, again, Mike and I think along the same lines with, with stuff like that. So the other thing, and here's a cool part. And 
and I'm really glad that you you went, you know, so deep into a lot of the the twelve step and the AA stuff because that's one of the things that I've kept a lot of the posts on Instagram kind of basic um, until we started doing this because, you know, there's a lot of people out there and I and you know I've been listening to podcasts and things like that and mm-hmm. there's all these different all these different things now that are just blowing up my mind in a in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've made it very clear that, you know, I, I owe my life to, you know, AA and the 12 step program. And, and I live by that. I do this. I do the same thing that Mike does every single morning, almost, almost to a T, but we read a couple of different things, but some of the same things, we start our day the right. same way, you know, so we still do the same things. And, you know, so he and I are very alike with that very militant is the only way that I can put it. Um, mm. But the other thing too is that I'm hearing all these different things and I'm like, I'm hearing the term, um, you know, sober curious. I'm hearing gray area drinker. I'm hearing all these different things. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, what is all this stuff? I'm hearing more about smart recovery and, and yoga, all these different things. Like, like when you were talking about the California thing, there's people that, you know, that still do that sort of thing. But the way that you mention it is it didn't work for you. doesn't mean it worked for somebody else. Right. And, and it reminded me there was this dude in, and I probably told you about him. This dude in Madison, he was a badass former biker. Um, and at the time that I, when I moved there, um, I think he had been sober like 20 plus years. I mean, he'd been sober mm-hmm. a long time, but right. I mean, the kind of guy we walked up to him, I mean, you think you look scary, yeah. this, this, mo- this motherfucker, I'm like, Jesus. So, um, but he used to always say when he closed out, when, you know, in, in like a, a discussion type meeting, he said, Hey, he goes, but that's, this is what I do. He said, you may drink on my program. I may drink on yours, which I thought mm-hmm. was great, you know, because this thing over here works for this person. This thing works for you and me. This thing works for other people, um, you know, but there's a lot of people, too, that I've been listening to that got their certain AA and then went, went on and added different things, not mm-hmm. necessarily opposed to, but don't do it every day, you know. So there's all these different degrees out there. But I thought, man, you did a I just said, I don't know. You always do a, a better job than I ever do explaining the AA sort of program. These are all yeah. things that we're going to end up talking about. There's so many mm-hmm. similarities that Mike and I have, but there's so many differences. And I I can articulate certain things, but I can't articulate a lot of things. And every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I want to say, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean, and then the other, you know, the only other thing that, that I wanted to say about, explain just briefly geographic, because I think there's, there's a lot of people that don't know what that means. I know what it means, but explain geographic, because mm-hmm. you said your mom did a lot of geographic. Mm-hmm. And so did I, yeah. Uh, geographic is basically, you know, the problems are, I'm in this location, the problems are piling up because of my behaviors, and uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave this location and go to another location where I don't have all of those problems, except the problem <laughs> with that is I take me with me, and so I start to build the same problems because I do the same thing because that's what we do. We're in a, we're in a rut. We, we do the same things over and over, and it's the same with recovery. I just do different things now. Right. But yeah, a, <laughs> but a geographic is just basically leaving your problems behind, thinking things are going to be better somewhere else. But the problem with that is we take us with us. Well, you know what's funny is it just made me think about it. Um, Larry, uh, for my my stepdad, he mm-hmm. used to always say, but he said it jokingly. He said, "No matter where you go, there you are." But he right. would say it jokingly. It was kind of like mm-hmm. his old dad joke type of thing. But I mean, <laughs> absolutely. That's what, that's literally, that's what a geographic is. I mean, no matter where mm-hmm. you go, you know, there you are, you know, so, yeah, I am. but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of other, other little things in there, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's <laughs> if people if people do, um, you know, end up continuing to listen, which uh, you know, I, I hope they do too, because <laughs> it was. I mean, this was to me, this is fun, and for everyone out there, this is fun. You know, I mean, it's fun for both of us, and mm-hmm. um, you know, we hope that people listen, and we hope somebody takes a you know a little nugget to it. But here, here's the raw truth to all this, and and I'm not saying anything that Mike Mike won't agree with is. You know, we're we're doing this as much for ourselves as we're doing it for anyone else because um because we're alcoholics and that's what we do. (laughs) Right. Right. But I just posted about this when because when we got the hundred followers, I posted about this and I'm like, I had goals when I when I joined Instagram. I mean, and and part of it was to add another level to my recovery um, Mm -hmm. and make meaningful connections. So I've accomplished those two things. And then I started seeing the followers build up. I'm like, ooh, then I want that too, you know? So So you say you want more. Yeah, exactly. And that was was my point. That was my point of the post. But the other thing that I said, and I thought about it, then I, as I'm thinking about this, my little selfish, oh, I want more, more, more. I'm Mm -hmm. like, damn, I can't even believe that there's 100 people. Mm -hmm. And I post, I put this in the post. There's there's like now 119 people that are, that are, if nothing else, curious to see what either I or you or we might say next. Mm -hmm. That floors me. That that (laughs) blows my mind. You know, yeah. I mean, it really does. So it's a, it's a humbling thing too, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is a lot of fun. I mean, it's, uh, it truly is. It's, it's fun for both of us. And, um, you know, I think that going forward, you know, it's, it'll be a little bit looser. And, and Mike and I were talking about that in the phone call we had before this is that, you know, we wanted to, I, I told my story, he told his story now. And, um, you know, we can just basically get into, you know, whatever pops into our head and, we mm-hmm. spend um, a lot of time together. <laughs> um, <laughs> in some cases, more, more than we wanted to. You uh-huh. know? Um, well, there was about a year there where we shared a bedroom and a house. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a story in itself because one of the most it is. things that one of the most pointing things in my in my recovery um, happened in in that house too. You know that mm-hmm. the whole you know yes, it's that simple thing, you know? So, uh-huh. I mean, there's all these different things we can talk about, but, um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this has been cool. So, um, mm-hmm. anything else, I mean, anything else that you want to add? I mean, I, like I said, I enjoyed the shit out of your story. It's been a while. <laughs> I'm it has. It's been a while. Right. It's been a while. No, I have nothing else. I am trained. <laughs> <laughs> for you guys that don't know, um, I've been doing group at the Keating center for over 10 years now. And, uh, because of the pandemic and actually they moved, the men's facility uh, to another location. So I haven't been able to group for uh, about four months, four or five months now. And uh, today was the first day I went back and did group. So I am really burnt. (laughs) (laughs) I, I am sick of hearing my own voice. Right. Well, you know what? There's probably at least two or three people out there. that are sick of it. Oh, I I would hope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, a, it's a good time for us to wrap up. So it is, all right, man. Hey, it's been, this has been cool. Um, obviously we'll talk to everyone. This we'll talk to everyone next time. And, uh, all right. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. See y'all soon. All right. Later. Bye. As always, thank you for joining us for another episode of sober, not mature. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and feel free to message us with any suggestions for future shows. 